0: In what sense was John the Baptist Elijah who was to come? Again, he came in the spirit and power of Elijah as Gabriel told his daddy would happen. He even dressed and ministered in the same manner as Elijah. And like Elijah, John the Baptist preached a message of judgment to an apostate, unbelieving nation.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible-teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Buford, South Carolina's Community Bible Church. We're nearing the end of our study of the life and times of the prophet Elijah. We have seen Elijah taken up, raptured as it were, and in this final message, we look at the book of Malachi chapter 4, which talks about Elijah's eventual return. As we pick up, Dr. Brogy addresses God's call to look both at Israel's past and to Israel's future.
0: Moses and Malachi are asking us to remember what God spoke through His servant. Now stay with me. God included the book of Malachi for a reason, and he included these last three verses for a reason, though most commentaries don't even mention them. They skip over them, or they just summarize them in a single line, but these are not unimportant. We're going to see in a moment they express much about God's sovereignty and God's faithfulness. God is sovereign in the affairs of Israel, and God is sovereign in the affairs of the nations of this world. We are seeing things that God prophesied happen in our very day. And so, God gave the Jewish people an unconditional promise concerning a land that is yet to be fulfilled, and God keeps his promises. Verse 4, remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. And so, Malachi starts here in verse 4, asking the people to look to the past and remember. Remember. Remember the covenant that God made with Moses there in Horeb. But he doesn't stop there. Second point there on your outline, not only are we to look past, look to the past and remember, but in verses 5 and 6, he underscores, we are to look to the future and watch. Notice carefully verse 5. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, if you remember from the context, verses 1 through 3, Malachi speaks of this judgment that will take place at the end of the tribulation period, at the second coming of Christ, when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead. But now he speaks of Elijah coming, again, before notice, the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, if you've been with us, we've learned in our study of Daniel and Revelation that the phrase, the day of the Lord, is not in reference to a 24-hour day, but to an extended period of time. And the day of the Lord, it includes the great tribulation period, the second coming, the millennial reign of the Messiah. And it has the characteristics of a biblical day. A biblical day for a Jew starts at sundown and it goes to sundown the next day. And so the day of the Lord starts in the shadows of the great tribulation. And as you move through that seven-year period, it gets darker and darker and darker, and there's an event right in the middle of the seven years, what the prophet Daniel calls the abomination of desolation that Jesus quotes in Matthew 24, 15, that will change a time of trouble, into a time of horrible trouble, great and unbelievable trouble, as the trumpet and bold judgments unfold. Jesus, marking that as a mark of demarcation, will then say in Matthew 24, 21, for then, after the Antichrist commits this horrendous crime, for then, there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will be. So the worst part of the tribulation, what Malachi is calling the great and terrible day of the Lord, happens in the second half, and we are promised that that Elijah comes before that time. So this places this prophet in the first half of the tribulation. But at the end of that seven-year period, the sun comes out. <laughs> Jesus comes back. What we've been praying for in the Lord's model prayer for two thousand years will be fulfilled. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And heaven will come to earth. And God will show us. We looked at six reasons for the millennial reign. Why not just take us right to heaven? We studied in the Revelation. You might want to go to that message on the millennium. Why Messiah is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. But at the the end of the thousand years the children of tribulation saints who make it through the tribulation who unlike us will enter that thousand years in their natural bodies the curse will be lifted off of creation they'll have children and grandchildren and multiple generations and not all will believe and satan who'd been locked up for a thousand years will be loosed and he will tempt the nations of the world and it will get dark again but then it will get bright as we enter into the eternal state now the question is this Will the prophet Elijah come again? Well, obviously, I think so because I've entitled the sermon, The Return of Elijah. But don't take my word for it. I want you to understand what the scripture says. That's our authority. Now, remember, there are two comings of Christ with two forerunners. The Messiah first comes to die on a cross to be pierced through for our iniquities. But the prophet said his body would not undergo decay. He descended into heaven, but then he would come again to rule and reign on the earth. And in each case, God brought a forerunner. The first forerunner is mentioned in Malachi chapter three. Turn back a page or two in your, in your Bibles to Malachi chapter three. And notice if you will, verse one, God said, behold, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. Now, who is this messenger who will clear the way before the Lord? Now, a minority, mostly liberal commentators, say, well, my messenger is translating the word malach. And so, they say, well, this is in reference to the prophet Malachi. And also, that Hebrew word is related to the Old Testament word for an angel, a messenger. Angels are messengers. And so, in the New Testament, in angelos it's called a messenger of God. But I know that's not in, tr- not in view. Number one, the Messiah who's in view doesn't come for 400 years after this prophecy. So this is not about Malachi or some angel. Not to mention the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. And so sometimes God will give us divine commentary in the New Testament as He looks back on an Old Testament verse. And so we know this messenger, my messenger to be John the Baptist, put out in the margin next to Malachi 3.1, uh, Matthew eleven seven 7 through 10. Matthew eleven seven 7 through 10. Let me read it to you. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. That reminds me of most preachers today. They got their tight jeans and their $400 shoes, and they just want to be cool, and they think I'm old-fashioned for wearing a tie. Look, I went into the Oval Office one day, and you couldn't go into that Oval Office unless you had a suit on. I'm not here to worship the president. I'm here to worship the living God, and I'm not saying you need to come in a suit. Trust me, you don't have to. You can come in jeans. You can come however you want. But what these preachers are doing is they brought great disrespect to the ministry today. So they come to church like they're going to the beach. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, a prophet. And one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. And he quotes Malachi. Speaking about John the Baptist in the context, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And so, Jesus tells us John the Baptist is the first forerunner, and Malachi's prophecy is fulfilled in John. Now, the other Old Testament passage that predicts the coming of John is found in Isaiah. You might want to put out in the margin next to 3 1 Isaiah 40. Uh, verses 3 and 4. Isaiah the prophet, he predicts 300 years before Malachi that John will come. Let me read it to you. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And again, I know that this is in reference to John the Baptist. How? Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the New Testament credit it of John the Baptist. Listen, for instance, what Matthew writes in Matthew 3, 1 to 3. Put that in the margin next to Malachi 3 in verse 1. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. But now Malachi speaks of still another forerunner, not John, but another forerunner who won't come before Yeshua at the first coming, but he will come before Jesus at the second coming. And so he writes here in verses five and six, of the one that Jesus spoke of, the one that John the Apostle alluded to in the Revelation. And I want you to see that the Lord Jesus clearly concurs with the prophet Malachi that Elijah is coming a second time. Hold your finger here and turn to the gospel of Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, if you would. Matthew 17, it's in the New Testament. It's just the next book over if you're new to the Bible. Now, I know many of you are new to the faith and you're not familiar with this, but the passage that I want to exposit in this section won't make much sense if I don't read the first nine verses. So I'm gonna basically read them without a lot of comment. Uh, Matthew 17, this is a fulfillment of a prophecy made right at the end of chapter 16. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice of the cloud said, and this is one of three times in the New Testament, three different occasions God the Father speaks. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And that's an important statement that he makes. Because if you remember... Peter when Jesus said, Lord, you're not going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. He rebuked them and said, get behind me, Satan. See, they didn't yet have a full, clear picture of all that Jesus is going to accomplish and that he will do it in two different time frames. So he said, I don't want you to speak about this, and I'm sure those men honored it, these three, and it would have been very tempting to tell the other apostles, don't even speak of this until after the death and resurrection takes place, because then things are going to cement and come together for them. So after they see Moses and Elijah with Jesus, we're told here in verse 10, and his disciples asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? You see, the disciples had been taught that before Messiah comes, Elijah is going to show up a second time. That's what the scribes taught. And they were right on. They were accurate. And Jesus will affirm it. And by the way, that's why when Jesus was at that place called Caesarea Philippi, some of you have been there with me. It's a class A archaeological site. It's like, yeah, it happened right here. And they Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? What do you guys say? And the disciples and it's recorded in Matthew 16, 14. And they say, some say John the Baptist and others, Elijah. Why would they say Elijah? Because that's what the scribes taught them. And the scribes had access to the scriptures like Malachi. And so they thought, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Some say, Jesus, you're the forerunner in Malachi 3. Some say, you're the forerunner in Malachi 4. Some say, you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Well, according to Malachi's prophecy, Elijah was going to appear before the second advent of Messiah. However, what the disciples had not yet comprehended was that there were two comings of Messiah. And the prophets of old anticipated not only a Messiah who would suffer and die, but one who would rule and reign. And when you're under the oppression of Rome, you obviously want the latter picture. And so, the scripture teaches, however, that the death of Christ would precede the reign of Christ. And so, Christ's death did not come out of a failure, but out of God's program, because it was all part of his program. Remember Peter in 1 Peter 1.11? He said that the prophets spoke of, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And so Jesus is, agrees with the scribes that Malachi's prophecy is yet to happen. And so he responds to their question here in Matthew 17 and verse 11. And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. So it's very clear Elijah is coming a second time as the forerunner of Jesus. And he is going to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. That measures the second half of the tribulation. It's all called the tribulation period. But the first half, when the Antichrist is ruling as a man of peace, isn't anything, as we've studied, compared to the judgments come in the second half. The sealed judgments, as Matthew 24 unfolds, perfectly parallels. Those are just what Jesus calls the birth pangs. But then the event happens when the Antichrist goes into the temple and makes himself out to be God, and things really get troublesome. And so Jesus plainly taught that Elijah is coming before that second half, and when he comes, as we'll see this morning, he's going to restore all things. So we read in verse 12, notice, he said, but I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him but did to him whatever they wished. So also the son of man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Now Jesus makes a double-edged statement here. By affirming Malachi's prophecy, Elijah is coming, but also by affirming the fact that in one sense, Elijah has come. He's already come. Why? Because John the Baptist is predicted in his birth, came in the spirit and power of Elijah. It's not double talk. On the one hand, he already came in the sense that he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He did the work that Elijah did. What did Elijah do? He called the people to repentance. They were in unbelief. And of course, only a remnant responded. Elijah preached to King Ahab. John the Baptist preached to King Herod, both tried to kill both men, and of course, King Herod was successful. Both men preached to the multitudes, and in both cases, only a few, a remnant, responded. And so Jesus says in Matthew 11:14, 14, and if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. In what sense was John the Baptist Elijah who was to come? Again, he came in the spirit and power of Elijah as Gabriel told his daddy would happen. He even dressed and ministered in the same manner as Elijah. And like Elijah, John the Baptist preached a message of judgment to an apostate, unbelieving nation. And so John fulfilled the prophecy of being the first forerunner. And he fulfilled the prophecy of being the second forerunner, only in the sense that his life mimicked what Elijah the prophet did. But he's clear that the scribes are correct. And so after the transfiguration, after John is already dead, remember, John's already dead at this point. He's already been murdered. And after he's dead and murdered... Jesus said, Elijah is coming to restore all things. And again, back here in Malachi 4 and verse 5, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now you say, Pastor, is there any record anywhere in Scripture as to how this might unfold? Yes, there is. Hold your finger here and go to the book of Revelation chapter 11. Let me dust off your mind with a very important passage of Scripture. It was actually two years and three months ago that we were in Revelation chapter 11. It seemed like yesterday. And so in Revelation 11, John speaks of two men who are coming during the tribulation period that perfectly coincide with what we've been studying here in Malachi 4. Their coming is a sermon in itself. In fact, I'd preach two sermons on it that you can get at searchthescriptures.org or on the phone app. You can download them for free if that will be of help to you. He starts with a description, Revelation 11 and verse 3, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses. They will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. God in Scripture, often to underscore the specificity of coming judgment, will often measure it in terms of months or days or weeks to show that there's a beginning and there's a duration to it. And so the great flood was defined in terms of months. And this judgment, in terms of 1,260 days, also 42 months. And so they minister. In the first half of the tribulation, while the sealed judgments are unfolding on the earth, and at the end of the 1260 days, the Antichrist murders them. And again, we've studied this and we've gone through every text of Scripture. And after they're murdered, the, bo- the Bible says their bodies are laid there in the streets. Nobody touches them. Why? Because the world's rejoicing these guys and all the heartache they brought us and the message that we couldn't stand listening to they're dead and so for three and a half days they rejoice and the devil's christmas takes place and people send gifts one to another celebrating their death but of course god raises them up and brings them into heaven but as um jesus said The Antichrist commits the abomination of desolation, and when that happens, he says in Matthew, for then, after this event, the abomination of desolation, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet, the Antichrist walks into the temple, everything changes. Before this, there was a world religion under every stripe in the world, much like the Catholic Pope is forming today, where he brings all these religious leaders from all these different isms, and he's saying, we're all going to God, just choose your path. That's heresy, my friend. But now the Antichrist narrows the focus. He said, no, there's one religion, and it's my religion, and unless you take my mark, you will die, and you will not be able to buy anything. And when that event happens, Jesus then says, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will be. This is what Malachi is speaking of as the great and terrible day of the Lord. And that's why God has these two men in the first half of the tribulation. Obviously, if the tribulation is a measured seven years, you couldn't have three and a half more days with dead people laying in the street. It's all over by then. They minister during the first half, calling the Jewish people there on the Temple Mount to repentance. Pastor Jeff is speaking on the tabernacle this Wednesday. The tabernacle is a beautiful picture of the work of Messiah. Some of you came with me. In Israel, some Messianic Jews had reconstructed the tabernacle. And in every thread, every piece of furniture, it all pictures the work of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So the temple does. And so God is very, very clear that Messiah is going to come, but before he comes, there'll be two witnesses, and they're in the temple mount. They'll be explaining to the Jewish people, let me tell you what the meaning of these sacrifices are and what's going to happen. There's going to be a huge conversion in Israel there's going to be this great influx of people who are going to come to know Jesus as his Savior. And then at the end of that seven years, Jesus will reign. So here's the prophet Malachi. He concurs with the Lord Jesus. And John concurs with Malachi and Jesus that there's coming a portion of the day of the Lord that has a good and a bad side to it. You read some passages and you scratch your head and you say, I thought the day of the Lord was awful. Some aspects are. You're reading another passage and you say, man, this is a marvelous time. Some aspects are because it's this extended period of time. So we know Elijah is coming and we know when he is coming in the first half of the tribulation. Now, stay with me, Revelation eleven three. We're not dealing with the milk of the word, but the meat of the word. So pay attention. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, Paul pe- preached a great sermon in Acts 14 and he reminded the people of Lystra that God has never left himself without witness. The days before the flood. God had Noah in the dark days of Israel's history. He had the prophet Elijah. He's always had his witness teams, whether it's Moses and Aaron or Joshua and Caleb or Paul and Silas. And here are two witnesses who are preaching to the people of Israel and by extension to the world. And many people will hear and believe, but not all will. And so here in this final stretch of human history for 42 months or 1260 days, In the time of great apostasy amongst the Jewish people who are largely unbelief, they're going to believe. Now look at verse 4. They're further described. These are the two olive trees... And the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth, they're described as olive trees and as lampstands because the olive tree is the source of olive oil. And that's described back in chapter one of the revelation as being emblematic of the Holy Spirit. He is described as a type in the Old Testament of olive oil. Why? Because he gives you strength. Uh, We sang that song, keep me burning, burning, burning for the Lord. It's really uh, from the typology that comes from the Old Testament and even from Revelation chapter 1. And if you remember the prophet Zechariah chapter 4, he speaks of two olive trees that drip into the golden lampstand. Again, all symbolic. And so these men are anointed by the Spirit of God. And let me just say parenthetically, if you're going to minister for God, you better minister in the power of the Holy Spirit or your ministry is just activity. If you want it to count, you need to do it in his power. So these two witnesses, they're spiritually prepared. They're empowered by God. Look look at verse 5. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. What we have here are fire-breathing prophets. Not only do they preach hellfire and brimstone, they literally breathe it. People say, are you sure? Of course I am. Look, if God can create a fire-breathing dragon, if he can make a donkey talk, then he can make a human breathe fire. If you can believe the first verse in the Bible, you can believe any other verse in the Bible, and that's why the first verse is under such attack. You don't mess with these two men. These men are immortal. They are immune to any kind of attack until their mission is complete.
1: Tomorrow we'll present the final message in our study of the life and times of Elijah the prophet. To listen again to this or any of the messages in this series, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV10. You only have about another month or so to sign up for the Search the Scriptures trip to Israel, slated for September and October of this year. The Israeli government has opened up the country again to tourism, and Dr. Brogi will be hosting two separate trips. If you've never been to the Holy Land, you owe it to yourself to go and see the places you've only read about as they come alive. Details are online at stsisraeltour.com. Tomorrow, the conclusion of Elijah's return. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.